0: Welcome to the Capitol Beach. My name is Derek Brockbank. I'm the Executive Director of American Shore and Beach Preservation Association and I'm your host for this podcast. Uh, I'm very excited today to be joined with uh, two folks from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service coastal program. Um, I think this is the first time we've had someone from Interior, actually that's probably not true, we've had folks from the U.S. Geological Survey um, but uh, Fish and Wildlife Service is certainly one of the premier agencies within the, uh, the Department of the Interior and the Coastal Program is obviously one of their main coastal uh, parts to it so we're going to be talking with uh, Chris Darnell who's a biologist and Samantha Brooke who's the team lead for the National Coastal and Marine. Program. Uh, Chris, Samantha, really, really glad to have you. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks. Um, okay, before we get started with the interview and talking a bit about what the Fish and Wildlife Service Coastal Program is, uh, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by
1: LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical first-hand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at coastaltransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your Dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable Dune walkover on the market.
0: Learn more at the thedunesciencegroup.com. Okay, uh, thanks. Well, let's get going. Um, Chris, Samantha, you can choose who wants to kick it off. Why don't you just start by telling our audience a little bit about the Fish and Wildlife Service Coastal Program. Uh, What is the program? What do you do?
2: Yeah, the Coastal Program is a nationwide voluntary habitat restoration and protection program. Uh, We provide technical and financial assistance to people and communities who are working together to conserve and protect coastal habitats and species.
0: So I think one of the key words I heard in there is, is voluntary. I think when people often think of Fish and Wildlife Service, they think of regulatory. Um, can you explain a bit what that means by being a voluntary
3: program as opposed to a regulatory program?
2: Sure. Uh, Chris, do you want to talk a little bit more about the different programs?
3: So there are several programs that the Fish and Wildlife Service has that work along the coast, and some of them are um, focused on uh, recovery and, and uh, protection of uh, listed species other ones are which are more of a regulatory role um other ones like the coastal program um and some of the large grant programs um such as the migratory bird joint ventures program are voluntary programs um they provide both uh, financial and technical assistance to partners
0: okay so we've got regulatory role um which is enforcing laws uh voluntary role, which helps support programs. And sorry, I think you said another one was, there was land management in there too. What was the other one you mentioned?
3: Right, so we, we the Fish and Wildlife Service basically has, our, we have a number of programs that are either uh, sort of all about fish, all about birds, endangered species. Uh, then there's other programs that deal, that have, are, are all about federal assistance, you know, big grant programs. Um, and then there's, the, of course, the National Wildlife Refuge System, uh, which is the management um, arm of the Fish and Wildlife Service. So there is 180 coastal national wildlife refuges around the country. Um, and uh, so that's an important part of the service. Um, but uh, they all sort of um, it, uh, support uh, the general mission of the service, which is, you know, the the uh, protection recovery of um, Fish and wildlife resources for the benefit of um, the American public.
0: Okay, so dig into the, the Coastal Program a little bit. What uh, you, you talked about technical and financial assistance. Tell me, what, are the, what does that mean?
2: Sure. The Coastal Program, I think, is a really special program within the Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, it's one of the only programs working directly in coastal watersheds. Through the Coastal Program, the service is able to work on both public and private lands. Uh, anywhere in the watershed to help meet conservation needs where they occur. And what I also think is really unique is that the staff in the program are members of the local community. So they've really lived in these places for decades. They know the people and they know the issues and they are working directly with our partners to identify and uh, move forward projects to help address those conservation threats that have been identified.
0: So, can you give me maybe a give me an example of of what that means when you talk about coastal uh, Fish and Wildlife Silver's coastal program staff living in the communities being able to help um, with on the ground conservation experience what like can I, what's an example of that how would that actually work in practice
2: uh, sure the so just like you know you and I we live in our our communities and we uh, we're, we know what the issues are that our our fellow community members are facing we know kind of what the the species are in our areas. We know what the the habitats are. We know the places that we really enjoy going uh, and the places that maybe could use a little bit of additional uh, protection or assistance. And because our staff are just like us living in those communities, uh, they have the unique opportunity to bring those resources from the Fish and Wildlife Service to address the threats to Fish and Wildlife Service lands, to to federal lands, to state lands, um, and to uh, local level um, community places and species to um, help address those threats right where they are living. One of the things I always notice when I visit the Coastal Program field biologists is as we're driving through the landscape, in their area, they're able to point to culverts, to um, wetlands, to um, you know parks and protected sites that they've helped with. I think it's one of the only jobs I've ever seen where you can see directly on the landscape the impact somebody's individual work has. So you've
0: got biologists in field offices across the country who are actually engaging with their local stakeholders, their local resource managers. And providing sort of insight, input, scientifical expertise—like what is it that they are actually doing to help shape the on-the-ground uh, impacts that you talk about?
3: Well, there, uh, I yeah, I like to think of them as sort of the old extension agents for the USDA. That they they're in communities, they're sort of embedded in communities. They they know the people, they know the issues, um, and they 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 have access to all the the, the data sources, the the scientific um, uh, expertise that the Fish and Wildlife Service has, and they can sort of connect people, um, connect uh, uh, you know programs that we have uh, federal uh, uh, federal assistance programs to projects that are priorities for the communities, um, and they're involved on uh, planning committees and um, uh, different organizations um, that. Work together to uh, support uh, projects.
0: Okay, so they know the resources. They sort of have an expertise in both the what's going on in the ground, as well as an expertise of the federal agency, fish and wildlife. Sort of what project or what funding can be brought to bear, what information can be brought to bear, making sure that projects on the ground, restoration projects. You mentioned culverts. You could turn turn a culvert into a a, a more natural kind of system. On the coastline, maybe removing a seawall or a riprap and turning it into a living shoreline, but doing it in such a way that has maximum benefit for important species that would be important to the Fish and Wildlife Service. Is that essentially the right idea? Exactly. Cool. Um, And so, presumably, these on-the-ground practitioners are are connected, as you said, are connected to the community. They know the community. But are there ways for you know if 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 a listener uh, is working on a living shoreline project, but has not been connected to a fish and wildlife service practitioner, but really wants to make sure that their project is, is creating maximum wildlife benefit. Is there a way that they can find them? How do you get, how do you learn, or how do you get in contact with your biologist, your extension agent?
2: We have a website that lists our regional coordinators. It's uh, on the fish and wildlife service. I think it's very simple. Um, coastal program, Gov, or something very simple like that. Uh, and right on that website are all the regional coordinators. We have um, regional coordinators all around the country that assist in their geographic area. Uh, they have a subset of biologists that work with them, and those biologists are the ones stationed in the field. So we have about 50 people total all around the country. And you can really uh, identify the the places and species um, geographically by working with that regional coordinator to know who might be able to assist you.
0: Cool. And then we started to touch on earlier, you guys started to touch on the, the many different um, aspects of Fish and Wildlife Service. The, you mentioned the bird flyway joint ventures, the National um, Marine Mammal Program. How does the coastal program Interact with each of those, right? So you guys have said you're voluntary. You're helping on the ground communities. You're not the guys that are going to go in and say, you know, you're violating a Endangered Species Act. You're not. You need to fill out this 404 permit. But how do you help? Do your folks help communities figure that out? Sort of what's the what's the interaction that you guys have with the other aspects of Fish and Wildlife Service?
3: Yeah. So the Coastal Program works with several of the other Fish and Wildlife Service programs. Um, and other resource management agencies across the federal um, government uh, to support habitat conservation. Um, Programs and agencies can effectively accomplish their conservation missions by collaborating, um, by coordinating priorities, sharing data, and leveraging our financial and technical assistance. We're able to make conservation investments go further. Within the service, the coastal program frequently collaborates with the service's Fish Passage Program, which is. Folks that are working on those those culverts um, uh, and migratory bird joint ventures, um, but we also partner with other federal agencies such as USDA's Natural Resource Conservation, Service, um, EPA's National Estuary Program, and NOAA's Community Based Restoration Program.
0: And can you give me perhaps and give us an example of? The collaboration efforts there, would that be like jointly working on projects together, providing information to communities about other resources? Like, how does that, how does that, what does that collaboration look like on the ground?
2: Sure. Well, many of our projects take uh, a number of years to develop. And so, by being in the community and working with, with the people on the ground, the Coastal Program staff often are aware of projects and are helping kind of develop them and refine them, maybe providing technical assistance, the non-monetary components such as that scientific expertise and moving a project forward to a state where it's really ready for funding. Uh, when it's at that point, they can bring, as I, we've mentioned, the financial assistance of the service through the Coastal Program uh, or one of our other grant. Uh, cooperative agreement programs, they can also help applicants identify what other assistance programs might be opportunities for them. So for example, with the Farm Bill Conservation Programs, our biologists will often help landowners identify what of those vast array of acronyms within the Farm Bill they may be eligible for.
0: Oh, that's really That's really interesting and, and also seems really helpful. There's so much federal funding available for for conservation programs, but they all have different strings and different, uh, you know, requirements and reasons for being. And, and so I think having that local contact, that can be really helpful. That's great. Um, I think the next sort of big topic I wanted to get to in was, was funding and, and the various grant programs, um, really focusing in on the coastal wetlands grant program. Um, but before we move to that, I just wanted to anything else you guys wanted to sort of broadly share about the, uh, the, the Coastal Program before we dig into the Coastal Wetland Grant Program?
2: I guess I'd just like to touch on the relationship between the two programs. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit confusing. The Coastal Program and the National Coastal Wetland Conservation Grants programs are different. They're both held within the service and our financial assistance opportunities. The National Coastal Wetland Grants Program, we refer to as sort of being nested into the Coastal Program. There are definitely technical differences, which we can talk about um, as we walk through the uh, grant program and the coastal program. But our coastal program staff are supporting both programs. So just wanted to kind of lay that framework out that there's the the coastal program, which has its own funding opportunity. And within that, there's also a secondary financial assistance program called the National Coastal Wetland Conservation Grants.
0: Okay, cool. Let's start with the the coastal program's uh, funding opportunity. So how how would on the grant? How would how would you access that? What are those funds? And then, when you're done with that, maybe jump into what the National Coastal Wetland Conservation Grant Program is.
2: Sure, I'll talk a little bit about the coastal program, then I'll pass it over to Chris Darnell, who is the lead for the National Coastal Wetland Grants. Uh, so the coastal program is a cooperative agreement program. It's open to non-federal applicants, um, and. They are able to uh, apply through the information provided on Grants.gov. There is a Notice of Funding Opportunity that is is put out every year. We take applications on a rolling basis. It's not an annual competition. And we really encourage people who are interested in that Coastal Program support to uh, reach out to those regional coordinators that we were talking about earlier to find out what the priorities and species are in their area. Each region has a strategic work plan and they're looking primarily for projects that will help address the threats that they've identified or the priorities they've identified in that strategic work plan, which is developed from the input of stakeholders in the area like state agencies, nonprofits, um, and other organizations. And so we're hoping that our interested applicants will work directly with their regional coordinators to ensure that the project is well developed and right for funding. And they can do that again by finding that grants.gov announcement for Coastal, and there's contact information contained within that to reach out to the, the coordinators. The funding itself is pretty broad, and again, we can we can dig into that a little bit more. But just wanted to provide that high-level um, introduction for the coastal program opportunity.
0: And briefly, what's the sort of annual funding available for that?
2: Uh, we have a, a range in funding. A, a lot of it depends on um, what we're appropriated, so we don't are able to kind of consistently state that. I think last year our funding was. Total was about $13.5 million for the program. And some some portion of that is used for staff, of course, which are very essential in providing the technical assistance that we talked about, especially in identifying the types of opportunities that um, folks can apply to. And they also provide that um, technical expertise in, in actually implementing the projects.
3: Okay.
0: Chris, uh, let's hear a little bit about the Coastal Wetland Conservation Grant Program.
3: So the um, National Coastal Wetland Conservation Grant Program um, is a con- what I'd call a conventional grant program. It's a nat- we have a national competition, um, and uh, the the uh, eligible applicants for this program are the coastal states um, and uh, U.S. territories. Um, uh, so, including the Great Lakes states, um, they often frequently work with partners and. Uh, you know, pass money through to sub-grantees, um, but it is uh, that only the states can apply. Um, it is um, uh, so it's one cycle per year. Um, and uh, there's uh, they're typically, I would say, the majority of the projects are land acquisition projects. Um, but we also have restoration projects as well, or we have a combination of both. Um, they they're uh, they tend to be uh, pretty large scale. There's a, a the maximum grant amount would be one million dollars. Uh, the minimum that we t- typically see is somewhere, you know, two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars. So these are a little bit larger projects than what you would find with the coastal program, um, and uh, and so and we provide the service provides technical assistance in terms of working with partners to try to develop those projects and um and and m- improve the the quality of the applications so they're more competitive um we the, m- the amount of money that we typically have available is anywhere between 18 and 21 million dollars per year however this year uh they're expected we're expecting to have it. Uh, more than that because we had a surplus last year. We had some carryover um, uh, and we typically get about uh, anywhere from uh, 25 to 35 applications uh, per year and uh, uh, from from about anywhere from 10 to four, 15 states um, that, are, that typically apply. Um, and so, that it's uh, unlike the the, uh, the coastal program, which uses uh, cooperative agreements, where the service is a little more involved in the uh, uh, design and implementation of the project. The, the coastal grants pro- program is more of a grant program, where and the grants are uh, you know um, traditionally we you know we get the reports and so forth. Uh, but um, the, the 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 states uh, uh, approach this program. Uh, as though it were, uh, you know, uh, their money, because uh, the money uh, does not come from appropriated funds. It comes through the Sport Fish Restoration and Boating Trust Fund, uh, which derives funding from excise taxes on um, fishing equipment and motorboat fuels. So the money is there, um, comes in, doesn't have to be appropriated by, con- by Congress, which is a nice thing to, to have. And it the, the amount of money does go up and down, depending on how much money comes into the Trust fund, uh, but it's pretty consistent. It's been a pretty consistent last few years.
0: So more people buy fishing equipment and boats, uh, boat fuel, and you get more money one year. But it it does typically r- range in the twenty million dollars. Um. That's, that's correct. Okay. Cool. Um, so I got to say, I, this was a pr- program that I've been working on coastal for a long time and hadn't actually heard of it, or perhaps I had and had always just confused it with NACA, the North American Wetland Conservation Act, um, that does a lot of work conserving wetlands throughout the country, not just coastal. Can you tell uh, tell us a bit, a bit of the difference between, uh, other than this being exclusively coastal and NACA being wetlands anywhere, how this differs from the North American Wetland Conservation Act grants?
3: Yeah, so the North American uh, Coastal, the North American coastal uh, Wetlands Conservation Act is a program that's implemented by uh, the Services Migratory Bird Program. And it supports the activities that provide for the protection of wetlands and uplands habitats for the benefit of waterfowl and other migratory birds in North America. Um, the, the grants uh, can be awarded in not only the United States, but also in Canada and Mexico. Um, whereas the coastal grants are limited to the coastal and Great Lakes states and the U.S. insular areas, um, uh, NACA is is larger. They have both a um, they have both a, a small grant program and a large grant program, and they're also nationwide. They're they're not just uh, coastal. Um, the eligible applicants for the coast, as I said, are the coastal states. Whereas NACA grants are available to uh, public and uh, private applicants. Um, and there's, they have slightly different match requirements. Um, NACA is one-to-one and the coastal grants have a 25%, uh, match requirement. Um, and as I mentioned, the coastal grants are capped at $1 million a year. Uh, NACA includes, you know, can, I don't think they have a cap.
0: Um, and then as you mentioned, I guess probably the big thing with the kickoff was NACA is really exclusive to, uh, migratory birds, um, whereas the coastal wetlands grants obviously in many cases will help migratory birds, but not, that's not sort of their defining feature. Um, cool. Uh, so before we got on the call, you were mentioning um, the 2020 uh, grants that recently got announced. Is there any uh, program or any a grant that you wanted to talk about, maybe give a good example of, of a funded project from the wetland grant program?
3: Sure. Um, there was one in uh, that we had from New Jersey this year, and I know that the ASBPA has long been very involved in New Jersey, so I thought I'd mention that one. Um, this one is Fairfield Township, New Jersey, which is in Cumberland County um, in the Delaware Bay. Um, and it was uh, an application from the New Jersey Green Acres Program, which is their land acquisition program. Um, and they were partnering with Ducks Unlimited and they got a $1 million grant to acquire uh, uh, about 1,650 acres of property in Cumberland County. Um, And the property contains a significant amount of nationally decreasing coastal wetland types um, along with sandy beachfront and upland maritime-like forest. Uh, The parcel will be added to the Dix Wildlife Management Area, which is a pretty large area in that Delaware Bay shore area. And over 300 species of migratory birds um, use the Delaware Bay region uh, during their migration uh, on the Atlantic Coast um, Flyway, Uh, particularly the red knots um, who uh, stop over to uh, feed on the uh, horseshoe crabs and their larvae during the breeding season or during the migratory um, trip. Uh,
0: Very cool, yeah. Um, Certainly the Delaware Bay is a, critical uh, resource for migratory birds but also just a critical resource for people who enjoy going out and kayaking and seeing wildlife and just enjoying the the recreational opportunities that they provide. Um, great thanks for that. Uh, so I, I think I saw posted that the 20 um, the next grant program I don't know if this is the 2020 cycle or the 2021 cycle it's coming up i think was due in uh, June was that right anything you can tell us about sort of the next um, the next grant cycle?
3: So, yeah, so we always work a year ahead. So we're we're accepting applications uh, at the end of June for the 2021 uh, funding cycle. Um, And uh, that's June 26th, um, and that's the deadline. Um, We may consider extending that uh, due to COVID-19, but we were waiting to see how many uh, requests that we actually get. Um, So, uh, we generally our coastal program staff generally uh, are very uh, communicate with the applicants and try to figure out where they are and try to help them along and try to they offer the pre-review of the preliminary review of the of the applications um, and so once those applications are received they'll be uh, processed and reviewed in, in by a, a, a panel of Fish and Wildlife Service biologists. And then, typically, the recommendations for the awards uh, go to the director in December, and then the announcement comes out sometime in January. And then the next cycle, we'll get uh, the announcements for the 2022 cycle in uh, January as well.
0: Given that we are going into a, an election cycle and potential changeover in uh, staffing, whether you know whether there's a new administration or even the same administration, often the senior politicos will change up. Does that impact the the grant program? Is, is are your program impacted at all with with turnover at the leadership level on uh, on election years, or does this mostly flow through at the at the staff level and not impacted by politicals?
3: Actually, this the the statute that authorizes the grant program, which is the Coastal Wetland Planning and Protection Act um, is uh, actually has the director as the decision maker uh, regarding these grants, not secretary, So, which is helpful. Um, but uh, whenever we have political changeover, um, either at, at in the service or at the department level, it always slows the process down because there's additional briefings and we have to bring everybody up to speed and and provide them with a, with some additional information about what this program is all about. And um, so uh, that that can slow the process down and, and uh, especially the announcement of the grants can can late as March.
0: Gotcha, so be ready for a, a little bit of delay next year, but the funding is there, it's coming from excise taxes, doesn't need to be appropriated. You know, every, every program's dream is to get out of the appropriation cycle and you guys have it, so that's great. Um, the money will be there, uh, apply by, when did you say, June 26th was that the date you said
3: that's currently the deadline yes okay
0: um, cool uh, I guess it'd sort of be open up to anything else you you feel like coastal stakeholders might not know about the either the grant program or the coastal program is there anything else that you guys would like to uh, like to share about the program in general
2: uh, I guess I would just emphasize again the difference between the two programs that there is sort of the the annual cycle with the National Coastal Wetland Grants with a very strict deadlines. Um, and then there's sort of the, the coastal program process, which is a separate uh, set of appropriated funds uh, that you can find the announcement for every year on grants.gov. And that's sort of a more ongoing and rolling. Process, Those funds can be used for a lot of different types of projects. For example, the coastal program has been involved for um, quite a while, um, decades, in the um, Gulf of Mexico area of the Salt Bayou near Jefferson County. Uh, and that Salt Bayou Watershed Restoration Plan has been in development for many, many years. In fact, it has four different components. And over time, working with partners, um, the Coastal Program, Texas Parks and Wildlife, the county, uh, and the um, Ducks Unlimited and other nonprofit partners have been able to identify resources and kind of bring those to the table and fund different pieces of that project Uh, For example, doing the hydrologic connectivity across McFadden National Wildlife Refuge and then also rebuilding the dunes at McFadden National Wildlife Refuge that really protect those homes and businesses, uh, especially the oil and gas refineries there adjacent um, to the refuge. And then also provide that habitat for birds and fish and shellfish that people like to go out and enjoy themselves. Uh, I know it's a really popular area for birding. I've been told it's one of the best in the country. So um, that kind of project that takes a long time is a, you know, it's a good fit for a program like the coastal program, which has staff in place that can help monitor and progress things over time and, and really identify the right resources to bring to the table.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting interesting project. I know a little bit about it, but it sounds like a lot of the, the... Projects both that both fund um, really focus on wildlife, but have multi benefits, and I think that's sort of a common theme that we are, you know, we hear all the time on on this whole podcast network. But certainly, when I talk to federal agencies, is you know each federal agency has its own particular niche or or, or mission area, but a lot of the coastal projects that are being worked on have multiple benefits. They you know they they span. They aren't just Wildlife projects—they aren't just flood protection projects; they aren't just risk reduction projects. You know, they really address all those different things. So having having different agencies work on them makes a ton of sense. Each agency brings its own expertise and an ability to connect and provide input. So uh, glad to hear you're you know working on that, and it's really been interesting hearing from you guys about fish and wildlife's perspective on some of these coastal projects that do do provide multiple benefits. Um, before we fully wrap up, I. I just always find it fascinating to hear um, when I speak to some of our uh, our, our public servants, uh, or as uh, are sometimes derogatorily called bureaucrats. But I think you know the work that you guys are doing drives coastal conservation in the country. So I'm, I'm interested to hear sort of what, how did you get here? What drives you guys, um, Chris? I believe we share a, a similar. Uh, background and both having worked for a time at National Wildlife Federation, but do you want to tell me a little bit about your background, Chris? What, how did you end up at the Fish and Wildlife Service as the Coastal and Marine Program Biologist?
3: Well, I, um, I as I, as you say, I, I started in the Fish uh, National Wildlife Federation um, working on a dangerous species uh, uh, policy, um, and then uh, that was great because I was using my uh, my degree, uh, my wildlife biology degree, and then I. I moved to the Coastal States Organization, and I was working on coastal zone management issues uh, there, and uh, using as much of the wildlife biology background. And then I got even further away and worked on worked for the state of California as a as a coastal planner and and, and regulator. Um, and, and then I made a decision to shift and and uh, really wanted to get back towards to my roots. And so uh, I found the uh, the coastal program. Uh, I had done an internship with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, in graduate school. And I came back and found the coastal program, which combines both my interests. And, and so um, it's a perfect fit for me uh, to, to be. And I really um, enjoy the or admire the sort of the, the services philosophy about um, sort of that, that conservation is a shared responsibility between uh, the government and citizens and uh, that we, we can't be su- successful um, unless we work together to make that happen. Terrific. And and
0: Samantha, we've certainly crossed paths over the past couple of years, um, on various hill briefings and events. And you recently spoke at our, um, our national coastal summit. So we're we're glad you're able to share some of the information that you've shared today with, with folks who attended that summit. Uh, tell me a bit about your background. You're from, uh, I see mid coast Maine. So clearly a coastal, uh, coastal at heart, but tell us how you ended up at the fish and wildlife service
2: yeah i am from maine from a rural area Uh, i knew i wanted to do something that involved the outdoors i wasn't sure exactly what but through a circuitous path i managed to get an internship working for the state and went to graduate school in maine uh, working on north atlantic right whale conservation and uh, was able to land a job with noaa shortly afterwards working on fisheries observers um and really loved being a public servant, loved the opportunities I was able to get and the work that we were able to do as a a federal government. I actually traveled, moved to several different places working for NOAA on different topics, and um, ended up in Hawaii, where I began to work closely with Fish and Wildlife Service on the Marine National Monuments. One of the things that really struck me about the Fish and Wildlife Service was how much of a priority they placed on that conservation and partnerships that Chris was talking about, and I wanted to be part of that team. I liked how on the ground they were, how much they wanted to really be in touch with the resources, and I was looking for an opportunity to join the team, and I was really fortunate to have the opportunity to come to the Coastal Program. I've just been so impressed over the time that I've worked with it. It was a program I honestly hadn't heard of while I worked at, no and I worked on habitat conservation. So it's a little um, distressing and something I've taken on as a personal mission since joining the service. Uh, our field coordinators and, and uh, staff, I think they're just really humble. And so they are sometimes under or unrecognized in what they do. Uh, but the program is doing really great work. And I just welcome every opportunity I can have to, to share that work.
0: So from Maine to Hawaii, you really Covered the corners of our coast. We got to get you to working in Alaska at some point, but um, uh, fascinating. Also, may need to pick your brain on on your thoughts on uh, working on right whale conservation in in Maine. That's certainly a hot topic. And a, a quick plug to some of our other podcasts. There's been a whole series of shows on the the lobster wars and whaling issues. Um, so if you haven't if you haven't done it, check those out on ASPN. Um, Cool. Well, my final question to all my guests, I always ask this because I'm a beach guy uh, and I find that everyone who works on the coast, you know, gets burnt out a little bit and needs rejuvenation. And and almost all the time we have a favorite coastal place, whether it's a beach or a coastal area that, um, you know, brings peace to our souls and helps us keep doing our jobs as well as we can. So um, Chris, I'll start with you. And then Samantha, you can finish up. Uh, What is your favorite beach or coastal area? Where's the place that uh, brings peace to your soul?
3: So that's an easy one. For me, living out in California, I went to Kehoe Beach on Point Reyes National Seashore, which is northwest of San Francisco Bay uh, area. Um, and I had two kids out there and take them to the beach and let them run wild. was just great. And it's just it's a it's a treasure. And uh, I miss it <laughs> living on the <laughs> How about you, Samantha?
2: Yeah, I think maybe because I did grow up in an area that was relatively low in population density. I really love those beaches and little corners of the coastline that you find when you're out exploring and there's nobody else there and it feels like it's your secret spot that you found. doesn't matter where it is or or exactly what it looks like, but it feels like it's yours all to yourself.
0: Okay, I'm gonna push you, Samantha. Give us, give us one of your secret spots. Where's one place that you think you know, about that I, you like?
2: I was trying to think of it, and I, uh, you know, if a, a secret place, but you know, I feel like I just can't tell you because
0: I don't want to be a secret. <laughs> um, so the corner nook in somewhere in Maine. We'll have to find you there uh, when the weather's warmer. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Really appreciate you. Uh, I think the coastal programs are really fascinating program and and perhaps one of Fish and Wildlife Service's lesser known uh, programs as well as the the grants program. So appreciate you taking the time today and and, uh, keep up the great work. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you, Derek. Thanks a lot.